Chapter Six of Our Village, Volume One by Mary Russell Mitford. Read by Anne Fletcher, Hobart, 2020. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Our Village, Volume One, Chapter Six Lucy. About a twelvemonth ago, we had the misfortune to lose a very faithful and favourite female servant, one who has spoiled us for all others. Nobody can expect to meet with two Lucys. We all loved Lucy. Poor Lucy. Oh, she did not die. She only married. But we were so sorry to part with her that her wedding, which was kept at our house, was almost as tragical as a funeral. And from pure regret and affection, we sum up her merits and bemoan our loss, just as if she had really departed this life. Lucy's praise is a most fertile theme. She united the pleasant and amusing qualities of a French soubrette with the solid excellence of an English woman of the old school, and was good by contraries. In the first place, she was exceedingly agreeable to look at, remarkably pretty. She lived in our family eleven years, but having come to us very young, was still under thirty, just in full bloom, and a very brilliant bloom it was. Her figure was rather tall and rather large, with delicate hands and feet, and a remarkable ease and vigour in her motions. I never saw any woman walk so fast or so well. Her face was round and dimpled, with sparkling grey eyes, black eyebrows and eyelashes, a profusion of dark hair, very red lips, very white teeth and a complexion that entirely took away the look of vulgarity which the breadth and flatness of her face might otherwise have given. Such a complexion, so pure, so finely grained, so healthily fair, with such sweet rosiness, brightening and varying like her dancing eyes whenever she spoke or smiled. When silent, she was almost pale, but to confess the truth, she was not often silent. Lucy liked talking, and everybody liked to hear her talk. There is always great freshness and originality in an uneducated and quick-witted person who surprises one continually by unsuspected knowledge or amusing ignorance, and Lucy had a real talent for conversation. Her light and pleasant temper, her cleverness, her universal kindness, and the admirable address, or rather the excellent feeling, with which she contrived to unite the most perfect respect with the most cordial and affectionate interest, gave a singular charm to her prattle. No confidence or indulgence, and she was well tried with both, ever made her forget herself for a moment. All our friends used to loiter at the door or in the hall to speak to Lucy, and they miss her and ask for her as if she really were one of the family. She was not less liked by her equals. Her constant simplicity and right-mindedness kept her always in her place with them as with us, and her gaiety and good humour made her a most welcome visitor in every shop and cottage round. She had another qualification for village society. She was an incomparable gossip, had a rare genius for picking up news, and great liberality in its diffusion. Births, deaths, marriages, casualties, quarrels, battles, scandal, nothing came amiss to her. 
she could have furnished a weekly paper from her own store of facts without once resorting for assistance to the courts of law or two houses of parliament. She was a very charitable reporter, too, threw her own sunshine into the shady places, and would hope and doubt as long as either was possible. Her fertility of intelligence was wonderful, and so early. Her news had always the bloom on it. There was no being beforehand with Lucy. It was a little mortifying when one came prepared with something very recent and surprising, something that should have made her start with astonishment, to find her fully acquainted with the story and able to furnish you with twenty particulars that you had never heard of. But this evil had its peculiar compensation. By Lucy's aid, I passed with everybody, but Lucy herself, for a woman of great information, an excellent authority, an undoubted reference in all matters of gossip. Now I lag miserably behind the time. I never hear of her death till after the funeral, nor of a wedding till I read it in the papers. And when people talk of reports and rumours, they undo me. I should be obliged to run away from the tea-tables if I had not taken the resolution to look wise and say nothing and live on my old reputation. Indeed, even now, Lucy's fund is not entirely exhausted. Things have not quite done happening. I know nothing new, but my knowledge of bygone passages is absolute. I can prophesy past events like a gypsy. Scattered amongst her great merits, Lucy had a few small faults, as all persons should have. She had occasionally an aptness to take an offence where none was intended, and then the whole house bore audible testimony to her displeasure. She used to scour through half a dozen doors in a minute for the mere purpose of banging them after her. She had rather more fears than were quite convenient of ghosts and witches and thunder and earwigs and various other real and unreal sights and sounds, and thought nothing of rousing half the family in the middle of the night at the first symptom of a thunderstorm or an apparition. She had a terrible genius for music and a tremendous powerful shrill high voice. Oh, her door-clapping was nothing to her singing. It ran through one's head like the screams of a peacock. Lastly, she was a sad flirt. She had about twenty lovers while she lived with us, probably more, but upwards of twenty, she acknowledged. Her master, who watched with great amusement this uninterrupted and intricate succession of favourites, had the habit of calling her by the name of the reigning beau. Mrs. Charles, Mrs. John, Mrs. Robert, so that she has answered in her time to as many masculine appellations as would serve to supply a large family with a commodity of good names. Once he departed from this custom and called her Jenny Dennison. On her inquiring the reason, he showed her old mortality and asked if she could not guess. "'Dear me,' said she, "'why, Jenny Dennison had only two. Amongst Lucy's twenty were three one-eyed lovers, like the three one-eyed calendars in the Arabian Nights. They were much about the same period, nearly contemporaries, and one of them had nearly carried off the fair Helen. If he had had two eyes, his success would have been certain. 
She said yes and no, and yes again. He was a very nice young man, but that one eye, that unlucky one eye, and the being rallied on her three calendars. There was no getting over that one eye. She said no once more, and stood firm. And yet the pendulum might have continued to vibrate many times longer, had it not been fixed by the athletic charms of a gigantic London tailor. A superb man, really. Black-haired, black-eyed, six feet high and large in proportion. He came to improve the country fashions, and fixed his shop-board in a cottage so near us that his garden was only divided from our lawn by a plantation full of acacias and honeysuckles, where the air smelt wooingly. It followed, of course, that he should make love to Lucy, and that Lucy should listen. All was speedily settled. As soon as he should be established in a good business, which from his incomparable talent at cutting out nobody could doubt, they were to be married. But they had not calculated on the perversity of country taste. He was too good a workman. His suits fitted over well. His employers missed certain accustomed awkwardnesses and redundancies which passed for beauties. Besides, the stiffness and tightness which distinguished the new coat of the Ancien Régime were wanting in the make of this daring innovator. The shears of our Bond Street cutter were as powerful as the wooden sword of Harlequin. He turned his clowns into gentlemen, and their brother clodhoppers laughed at them, and they were ashamed. So the poor tailor lost his customers and his credit, and just as he had obtained Lucy's consent to the marriage, he walked off one fair morning and was never heard of more. Lucy's absorbing feeling on this catastrophe was astonishment, pure, unmixed astonishment. One would have thought that she considered fickleness as a female privilege, and had never heard of a man deserting a woman in her life. For three days she could only wonder, then came great indignation, and a little, a very little grief, which showed itself not so much in her words, which were chiefly such disclaimers as, I don't care, very lucky, a happy escape, and so on, as in her goings and doings, her aversion to the poor acacia grove, and even to the sight and smell of honeysuckles, her total loss of memory, and above all in the distaste she showed to new conquests. She paid her faithless suitor the compliment of remaining loverless for three weary months, and even when she relented a little she admitted no fresh adorer, nothing but an old hanger-on, one quite not discarded during the tailor's reign, one who had dangled after her during the long courtship of the three calendars one who was the handiest and most complacent of wooers, always ready to fill up any interval, like a book, which can be laid aside when company comes in, and resumed a month afterwards at the very page and line where the reader left off. I think it was an affair of amusement and convenience on both sides. Lucy never intended to marry this commodious stopper of love gaps, and he, though he courted her for ten mortal years, never made a direct offer till after the bans were published between her and her present husband. Then, indeed, he said he was sorry, 
he had hoped was it too late and so forth oh his sorrow was nothing to ours and when it came to the point nothing to lucy's she cried every day for a fortnight and had not her successor in office the new housemaid arrived i do really believe that this lover would have shared the fate of many successors to the unfortunate tailor i hope that her choice has been fortunate it is certainly very different from what we all expected the happy man had been a neighbour not on the side of the acacia trees and on his removal to a greater distance the marriage took place poor dear lucy her spouse is the greatest possible contrast to herself ten years younger at the very least well-looking but with no expression good or bad i don't think he could smile if he would assuredly he never tries well made but as stiff as a poker i dare say he's never run three yards in his life perfectly steady sober honest and industrious but so young so grave so dull one of your demure boys as falstaff calls them that never come to proof you might guess a mile off that he was a schoolmaster from the swelling pomposity of gait the solemn decorum of manner the affectation of age and wisdom which contrasts so oddly with his young unmeaning face the moment he speaks you're certain nobody but a village pedagogue ever did or ever could talk like mr brown over displayed such elaborate politeness such a study of phrases such choice words and long words and fine words and hard words he speaks by the book the spelling book and is civil after the fashion of the polite letter writer he is so entirely without tact that he does not in the least understand the impression produced by his wife's delightful manners and interrupts her perpetually to speechify and apologise and explain and amend he is fond of her nevertheless in his own cold slow way and proud of her and grateful to her friends and a very good kind of young man altogether only that i cannot quite forgive him for taking lucy away in the first place and making her a schoolmistress in the second she is a schoolmistress a keeper of silence a maintainer of discipline a scolder a punisher oh, she would rather be scolded herself it would be a far lighter punishment lucy likes her vocation as little as i do she has not the natural love of children which would reconcile her to the evils they cause and she has a real passion for cleanliness a fiery spirit of dispatch which cannot endure the dust and litter created by the little troop on the one hand or their tormenting slowness and stupidity on the other she was the quickest and neatest of workwomen piqued herself on completing a shirt or a gown sooner and better than seemed possible and was scandalised at finding such talents degraded to the ignoble occupations of tacking a quarter of a yard of hemming for one pinning half a seam for another picking out the crooked stitching of a third and working over the weak irregular burst-out buttonhole of a fourth when she first went to s town she was strongly tempted to do all the work herself the children would have liked it said she 
and really I don't think the mothers would have objected. They care for nothing but marking. There are seven girls now in the school working samplers to be framed. Such a waste of silk and time and trouble. I said to Mrs. Smith, and Mrs. Smith said to me, then she recounted the whole battle of the samplers and her defeat and then she sent for one which in spite of her declaration that her girls never finished anything was quite completed probably with a good deal of her assistance and of which notwithstanding her rational objection to its uselessness lucy was not a little proud she held it up with great delight, pointed out all the beauties, selected her own favourite parts, especially a certain square rosebud and the landscape at the bottom, and finally pinned it against the wall to show the effect that it would have when framed. Really, that sampler was a superb thing in its way. First came a plain pink border, then a green border zigzag, then a crimson, wavy, and then a brown of a different and more complicated zigzag, then the alphabet, great and small, in every colour of the rainbow, followed by a row of figures flanked on one side by a flower, name unknown, tulip, poppy, lily, something orange or orange-scarlet, and on the other by the famous rosebud, and then divers sentences, religious and moral, Lucy was quite provoked with me for not being able to read them. I dare say she thought in her heart that I was as stupid as any of her scholars. But never was manuscript so illegible, not even my own, as the print work of that sampler. And then, last and finest, the landscape in all its glory. It occupied the whole narrow line at the bottom, and was composed with great regularity. In the centre was a house of a bright scarlet, with yellow windows, a green door, and a blue roof. On one side a man with a dog, on the other a woman with a cat. This is Lucy's information. I should never have guessed that there was any difference, except in colour, between the man and the woman, the dog and the cat. They were in form, height and size alike to a thread. The man grey, the woman pink, his attendant white, and hers black. Next to these figures, on either side, rose two fir-trees from two red flower-pots, nice little round bushes of a bright green intermixed with brown stitches, which Lucy explained not to me. "'Don't you see the fir-cones, sir? Don't you remember how fond she used to be of picking them up in her little basket at the dear old place? Poor thing, I thought of her all the time that I was working them. Don't you like the fir-cones?' After this, I looked at the landscape almost as loving as Lucy herself. With all her dislike to keeping school, the dear Lucy seems happy. In addition to the merciful spirit of conformity which shapes the mind to the situation, whatever that may be, she has many sources of vanity and comfort, her house above all. It's a very respectable dwelling, finely placed on the edge of a large common, close to a high road, with a pretty flower-court before it, shaded by four horse chestnuts cut into arches, a sashed window on either side of the door, and on the door a brass knocker, which, being securely nailed down, serves as a quiet, peaceable handle for all goers, instead of the importunate and noisy use for which it was designed. Jutting out at one end of the court is a small stable. 
retiring back at the other a large schoolroom, and behind a yard for children, pigs and poultry, a garden and an arbour. The inside is full of comfort, miraculously clean and orderly for a village school, and with a little touch of very allowable finery in the gay window curtains, the cupboard full of pretty china, the handsome chairs, the bright mahogany table, the shining tea-urn and brilliant tea-tray that decorate the parlour. What a pleasure it is to see Lucy presiding in that parlour, in all the glory of her honest affection and warm hospitality, making tea for the three guests whom she loves best in the world, vaunting with courteous pride her home-made bread and her fresh butter, yet thinking nothing good enough for the occasion, smiling and glowing and looking the very image of beautiful happiness. Such a moment almost consoles us for losing her. Lucy's pleasure is in her house, mine is in its situation. The common on which it stands is one of a series of heathy hills, or rather a high tableland, pierced in one part by a ravine of marshy ground filled with alder bushes, growing larger and larger as the valley widens, and at last mixing with the fine old oaks of the forest of P. Nothing can be more delightful than to sit on the steep brow of the hill amongst the fragrant heath-flowers, the bluebells and the wild thyme, and look upon the sea of trees spreading out beneath us, the sluggish water just peeping from amid the alders, giving brightly back the bright blue sky, and farther down, herds of rough ponies and of small stunted cows, the wealth of the poor, coming up from the forest. I have sometimes seen two hundred of these cows together, each belonging to a different person, and distinguishing and obeying the call of its milker. All the boundaries of this heath are beautiful. On one side is the hanging coppice, where the lily of the valley grows so plentifully amongst broken ridges and fox earths and the roots of pollard trees. On another are the immense fir plantations of Mr. B, whose balmy odour hangs heavily in the air, or comes sailing on the breeze like smoke across the landscape. Farther on, beyond the pretty parsonage house with its short avenue, its fish ponds and the magnificent poplars which form a landmark for many miles around, rise the rock-like walls of the old city of S, one of the most perfect Roman remains now existing in England. The wall can be traced all round, rising sometimes to a height of twenty feet over a deep, narrow slip of meadowland, once the ditch, and still full of aquatic flowers. The ground within rises level with the top of the wall, which is of grey stone, crowned with the finest forest trees, whose roots seem interlaced with the old masonry, and covered with wreaths of ivy, brambles, and a hundred other trailing plants. Close by one of the openings which mark the site of the gates is a graduated terrace, called by antiquaries the amphitheatre, which commands a rich and extensive view, and is backed by the village church and an old farmhouse, the sole buildings in that once populous city whose streets are now traced only by the blighted and withered appearance of the ripening corn. Roman coins and urns are often ploughed up there, and it is a favourite haunt of the lovers of hoar antiquity, but the beauty of the place is independent even of its noble associations. 
the very heart expands in the deep verdure and the perfect loneliness of that narrow winding valley, fenced in on one side by steep coppices or its own tall irregular hedge, and on the other by a venerable crag-like wall, whose proud coronet of trees, its jutting ivy, its twisted thorns, its briery festoons and the deep caves where the rabbits burrow, make the old bulwark seem no work of man, but a majestic piece of nature. As a picture it is exquisite. Nothing can be finer than the mixture of those varied greens so crisp and lifelike with the crumbling grey stone, nothing more perfectly in harmony with the solemn beauty of the place than the deep cooings of the wood pigeons who abound in the walls. I know no pleasure so intense, so soothing, so apt to bring sweet tears into the eyes, or to awaken thoughts that lie too deep for tears as a walk round the old city on a fine summer evening. A ride to S was always delightful to me, even before it became the residence of Lucy. It is now my prime festival. End of chapter 6